And welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Gordon Depp. Gordon's the lead singer of the Canadian new wave band Spoons. Spoons had their success back in the 80s. Their biggest hit in the States was called Nova Heart. Their third album called Talk Back was produced by the great Niles Rogers. Gordon tells a great story about how that came about. Talk Back features one of my favorite songs, Romantic Traffic. You can check out the video of that song on YouTube. Gordon talks about the making of that video. He also talks about the difficulties for some Canadian bands to make it big in the States. You can find Gordon right now touring with Mike Score and Flock of Seagulls on the Lost 80s Live Tour. I'm excited to see that soon. And I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Gordon. And helping me relive my youth today is Gordon Depp. Gordon, thanks for joining us today. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. So I, I discovered uh, the Spoons back in the mid-90s when I was up in school in Buffalo. So the, one of the wow. good things yeah, so one of the good things about college and going to Buffalo was obviously you know the wings and the beer and stuff like that, but just <laughs> <laughs> d- d- discovering so much great Canadian music and you know the Spoons was one of the bands I really enjoyed up there and, and I still do to this day. Uh, how did you guys first get involved? Um, well, first of all, I, I think it's great that you didn't discover us till the 90s because we're kind of an 80s band, right? right? We still play, but to that you would like, you know, that sort of 80s thing. Even in the 90s, when when the 90s hit, I thought that 80s were over. You know, I, <laughs> when, when grunge hit and the whole Seattle thing and whatever, I thought, oh, I guess this was done forever and ever. You know, I never thought in a million years it'd be a, a retro 80s you know, comeback kind of thing. But, um, so the great, that's great. I mean, no, we started like a night around 1980. I'm in high school, you know, a bunch of high school kids, and uh, we used to be a prog rock band. I'm not the spoons, that's not what Sandy and I sort of cut our teeth on. But when the new wave hit, we thought, oh, you know, but just using uh, the same synthesizers we were using and, and kind of quartz guitar parts, we slide it to the whole new wave thing, kind of. You know, Especially because thinking being a, a progressive band, you never think you're, you're going to do anything. Like it's kind of a self-indulgent thing. It's never going to get any airplay, whatever. And then you see this band spin out, like you know Gary Newman and Bon D and Ultravox, and you go, "Holy, oh, this is kind of prog rock with a beat to it." Right. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can definitely tell that, like you know, Ultravox and OMD uh, influenced you guys heavily. Yeah, especially the early stuff. I mean, we were together. A solid ten years of recording. We still play now all the time, and and the retro, you know, eighties phenomenon thing is huge. So we do all the festivals and tours and stuff. But back in the in in the eighties, you know, when we were making records, we kind of had to go through changes because the eighties really changed. So people say eighties music, but there's so many different things. We started off being kind of a techno, ultravox type band. And then in the middle of the 80s became a bit more pop and a little funky, even with La Rogers. And then by the end of the 80s, being on Russia's label, of all things, which is weird for us, <laughs> became a bit more guitar-based, a bit more rock and roll, and toured the U.S. more than we did Canada. Yeah, now, now speaking of the, of the U.S., uh, I mean, to, to be perfectly honest with you, I never heard of you guys before I first went to Buffalo and, you know, had the Canadian music kind of trickle trickle down over the border. Yeah. Um, 
I, and I was, you know, doing some research. I knew you guys signed with, I believe, A&M, but they had some, like, issues in causing you guys to be dropped. Was that really the only time you guys tried to, to make an impact in the U.S.? No, we, we were um, on an American label um, since Novahart came out, which is around 1882 okay. on A&M, right through till the end pretty well. But um, the problem was, especially someone like Novahart, it was pretty radical for Canada, and it was really different for the... Yeah, just think, it was in the top ten stars up here with Queen and Led Zeppelin and The Who. And even a song with drum machines, so it isn't, you know, very stark, backwardy thing. So it, I can see it made big well, like in K-Rock and the West Coast, California, and then New York City, Middle America, and they were yet to be turned on with that kind of music. And some areas probably aren't even yet, you know, they're not doing that kind of stuff. Right. So, it was pretty. It was very selective kind of crowd, but it was. It was I mean, I remember on K Rock, um, uh, the big station in in, in Los Angeles. Um, they, they voted Nova Hard as one of the top ten picks of the year or something. Like this. Canadian artists sort of 
didn't dominate um, they dominate the you know the Grammy Awards and stuff with the Sean Mendes and the Justin Bieber's and the Drake's and yeah. all that. Back in, back then, it was really hard for a Canadian band to get noticed unless you're maybe like Brian Adams or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, even like uh, the Tragically Hip, who are gods in, in Canada, are like pretty you know, yeah. lesser known in the States. You know, I've seen them a couple times in New York. You see them in small clubs while you get closer to Syracuse, Buffalo, and then you know, over the border, they're playing massive like arenas and stadiums. Yeah. That goes for a lot of these stuff that uh, just didn't cross over because, especially in the case of Tragically Hip, they're so Canadian-centric about their lyrical yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know? totally. I understand. I understand that one. Where with us, people assumed we were European. They didn't even think we were Canadian, but they thought we were from England. You know, the sound that we had. So when we first toured North America in 82, I think it was, it was with Culture Club. And people thought we just came over with that with another British band. <laughs> that's the sound we had. So the Canadian thing really didn't, uh, in that regard, go against us in any way. But uh, most of America, except, like I say, the more progressive, co- you know, East West Coast, we're still kind of stuck in sort of that, you know, easy listening or mainstream, middle of the road kind of rock and pop and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And speaking like, like one one of my favorite songs by you guys is "Romantic Traffic," and the that's the first really the first song that I discovered at the band.
the video, I, I really loved it. It's really a cool video. Um, how was that to film? It seemed like it would probably be pretty much of a headache, you know, trying to film that during the day. With no, yeah, it was very, um, like, off the cuff. It was, uh, there was no script or anything. It was just us with a handheld camera in the subways of Toronto. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was fine. We had, like, a rep from the from the subway people, like, the city come with us. So whenever the crowd got too big, there's me just jump on the train, go to the next station. It kept moving and moving moving. We did like 11 or 12 videos in total. I think that's the only one I can really enjoy watching because it's just us being ourselves, just the whole acting or, you know, like that kind of thing. In the 80s, they kind of wanted bands to, you know, play role. Unless it was performing, they wanted you to, you know, act like, oh, I just broke up with my girlfriend, I smashed a bottle of champagne, throw right. my guitar off a bridge and act that. And, oh, we're not actors, you know? And, yeah. You know, Michael Jackson or something. Most of that was pretty hokey. So that, that was just us being ourselves and everybody's personality comes through in that video. Yeah, and like videos back then really helped sell the song. Where now it's like, where did videos even get played? Especially in, you know in in America, you know MTV has all stupid shows now. They don't even really play videos anymore. No, it's uh, it's the last thing. That's the thing. We we began just as the video age exploded. It was, the timing was perfect because we were a young band, pretty good looking, and we had a cute girl in the band, and mm. and it was uh, a brand and over and in our first video. The one from Novaheart was so weird. <laughs> it wasn't very rock and roll. It was right. us. Have you ever seen it or not? It's Sandy in a dressed in a you know ballerina outfit on a on a swing and in this weird garden, and she's in this bed with this glowing orb, and and there's a bit of performance in it, very sci-fi, and so for that reason, it, overnight everybody knew who we were because we were so so drastically different than your average pop video. I mean. yeah. But and and and. That was even before Much Music, which was our um, MTV. Right. But when Much Music began in Canada, we were on the very first episode of Much Music. I think it might have been with Romantic Traffic. Yeah. Like, those, like, you know, Nova Heart and all those other videos, did you have a say in, like, the style of the video, or was that more of just the director and the record company? Later on, we got more involved. In the beginning, we just, because it was such a new art form, nobody really knew, you know. What, what it was. And I just think, oh, how come all these other bands like Duran Duran and Flock of Seagulls, all their videos, they look so good and ours look so cheap. But now I look back at them, they're all pretty cheap looking. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, Venetian blinds with lights shot through and blue light and tinfoil and whatever people found lying around, it just, you know, until like Michael Jackson, those guys started, you know, putting millions into their productions. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're all like uh, like short films. Some of them movies, Thriller and Bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, like you had Nile Rodgers, great you know producer, Chic, and like you know did Duran Duran, David Bowie, and Madonna. You know all these other people. Uh, how how did you uh, get yeah. him to uh, to work on your third album? Well, it wasn't he. He does like because we've worked with John Punter before. That British guy who did the kind of music I like, like Roxy Music and Japan right. and. The reflex, and that's what I understood. So when the AM record says, hey, this, we want you to work with Mal Rogers, that's all wrong. Like, it's like this punk guy. You know, I didn't like it at all. I really, it's the kind of music I didn't grow up on, right? So I remember him and Sting coming to our show when we were opening for concerts in New York City, coming backstage after the show, saying, must they like this? And here we were a bunch of kids of Brooklyn going, like, oh, whatever. They were so, you know, didn't, didn't need anything to us back then. <laughs> now I go, like, wow, we have Sting, and not to our room and see how much they like this, but so I really didn't want to do it. But then he went and did the um, 
Let's Dance album with Bowie. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of cool. I like Bowie. That's more like my background, right? Yeah. I remember going down, I've told this story a few times. I went down to the power station where we were going to record, and they were working on the Let's Dance album, and I, I want to see Bowie. I want to meet Nile, too, and all that stuff, but I want to see Bowie because I'm a big guy. Right? So I'm sitting in the booth, and they're recording, the band's recording, and Bowie's not showing up. You know, hours go by, and he never showed up. I said, oh, great. Meanwhile, beside me is this guy doing solos and stuff with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't have cared less. Right? He wasn't that, that famous yet. But still, I was just beating Bowie. So anyway, so he did that album. I thought, that's kind of cool. That's more in our direction. And um, we worked together actually on two records. And, and, and it, as it turned out, we were the only Canadian band that Knob Artists has ever worked with. And one of the greatest uh, compliments, I actually met him last year. He was touring Chic and um, Red Rat are touring together because he did their last album. And they bring him on stage for a couple of songs too. And, and he, I got on stage with him in front of like 18,000 people and with Nile. And, and then after the show, we talked. And he started telling all his friends backstage about how you know he met us at uh, that, that show in New York City with, with Sting. And he was actually there to see Culture Club, but he liked us better. And then, here's a compliment from, from uh, Nile Rogers, who was just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What he said about the Spurs is, yeah, they came on, and they were the shit. <laughs> <laughs> he said, wow, Nile Rogers said that about us. Yeah, exactly. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so how'd you, how'd you guys come up with the band name? Uh, it was the early 80s, but a lot of people using objects, you know, like the whole suburbia thing. Like, they were sort of talking heads influence in the beginning very stark and you know every house the household words but, you know and anything to their bands like the cars and Marlins, and there was another song band called dishes at the time just you know, it's like the old Beatles thing of taking an object and making something different and um, every day giving it a different meaning so yeah that, there was no I kind of regret it a long time because it's not a very stunning name especially when you look at the Aries and 70s album it's kind of Lush and symphonic, and they have this silly little name like Spoons attached to. Right. In the long run, it really um, stuck because there's so many bad and really clever good names, but it's hard, sometimes hard to remember them. You, know? <laughs> you can't forget a simple name like that. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, a couple other band names with either Spoon or Spoons, you know, throughout the world. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a bunch. There's a bunch now, yeah. Yeah, now, like, so when that happens, um, do you like contact them if there's any issues, you know, with naming rights, or is it just, eh, it's, it's all right? No, there used to be. Back in the 80s, there, there was. We had, we had, there was a spoon before us in America, and we had to pay them off. Right. Like, to stop using the name. And there was another spam in Canada that, uh, ever, it, it turns out they used it after us, but they didn't know about it. Anyways, we had to tell them to stop using it. But in the meantime, we found out lots. There's a heavy metal band in England, there's an all girl band. Apart from Spoon, there's actually Spoons in the U.S. with all girls. There's some Japanese band. There's, 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 you can't really... There's not, not much new left under the sun that's not been used very soon. Right, yeah. No, yeah. I don't, it doesn't really matter. People used to be so fixated in the 80s. Remember, they go like, we we'll have to call it, like, you know, Bush. And then it was Bush X, you know, and when they put the X behind it to signify a, a different version or, or Spoons UK or... I don't care. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember they did that with the mission, you know, the UK band. They just put the UK after the mission, just, and then the English beat yeah. and the beat. Yeah. They just do all that. 
So it's so funny. It's really ridiculous too when it turns out some unknown band that's been around for a long time are the ones that are defending the other band drops their name. You know, it's like attention grabbing. Like they don't. They, they're like don't really mean anything, right? So they make they make the band that's actually just float change their name or I think it's more for you know get some little bit of hype. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You guys reformed after breaking up uh, in 2012 and uh, released some new music. Uh, what was that experience like? Oh, oh yeah. Um, well, tell you, I never ever thought we'd be doing another album. We, we put out some best of stuff like that. I never really thought that we'd do an album of new material because I thought you gotta be like, if the time has come, you know, it's over. But when I saw this retro thing kept building, I, I wasn't it's a short-term fad, you know. It, it, it kept getting big, bigger every year. We started playing more. I thought, wait a second, it's kind of weird. And I, I never stopped writing. I mean, I, I'm a guitar player, so I did, when the 80s were over, I was fine with that. I lost myself in the guitar bands, you know. I, I like Matthew Sweet and Lenny Kravitz and Chili Peppers and Oasis and like, all that stuff. And so I never, I started changing my writing style. But when I saw the 80s slipping back into music, that sound into young bands, I thought, wait a second, maybe there is something here. I never wanted to put something out just to force it on people. When people start asking for it, I said, oh, sure, we can, we can give it a shot. So we put out two songs, uh, Imperfect and Breaking Even, they were called, a little two-song uh, CD. And the reaction from that was so good that it was really easy to do an album. Because if I get just a tiny bit of motivation behind me, it just kind of pours out. Mm-hmm. If, I feel, if I feel like it's forced or people aren't really behind us, I kind of clam up and forget it. I'm not going to bother people. Yeah. So it was, it was just a, it was just kind of a, you know, a natural progression. It, it, I waited until it felt right and then it just came out. Yeah, do you guys like ever think about like touring the States? I mean, like, you know, maybe just over the border, like Syracuse, Buffalo or anywhere like that? Yeah, yeah, we do that. We should do this Lewiston Festival every okay, year. Okay, yeah. Lewiston, New York. Um, this 80s thing they do. We've done it three or four times now. And usually we bring another 80s band with us. We've done it with um, Images in Vogue. Okay. Which is another cool 80s band from Vancouver, Canada. Um, who else have we done it with? We've done it with a few. Just to, you know, because it's funny, you discovered some of this music not till the 90s, but there's this whole, mostly the airwaves in that area. They, the CFMY, especially the radio station, their airways, their signal came in really strong in that area. So they were listening to all the stuff, you know, that we were growing up on and, and our music all through the 80s and forward. And some of them never got to see us. So when we went down there, it was like an emotional thing. It was amazing how people, you know, we didn't even know this this this, this audience was there, just, just outside the border. So um, yeah, we'd love to do more of that. I'm... Um, I'm a, it's really tough there's, there's a handful of 80s bands from Canada that are playing like regularly in in the US and I can tell you who they are it's a very short list it's, it's some bands that are still big up here play a lot up here from the 80s but they don't for some reason they can't get south of the board and that's like us kind of Right. I mean the only ones that are doing it are Man Without Hats Yes. just on the strength of that one song Yeah. and I think Loverboy which, which is a completely different realm I don't agree it's not my kind of music, but it's considered 80s, and they still do a lot of 80s cruises and that kind of thing. Yeah. 
So it's, it's a very small amount. And I, I would love to. And I, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I'm a member of Flock of Seagulls now. So we're touring the States a lot. And I'm doing whatever I can to spread the word about this. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like uh, I, I've I've seen Flock of Seagulls. So I'm I, I actually maybe have seen you. Uh, when did you uh, join them? Last no October. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I saw them about five, five, six years ago. Yeah, it's pretty. Thank you. Yeah, and um, it's it's um, from what I hear from his band, and he's he's so happy now with the way it feels. He had a different guy for like eighteen years. It was the original guy was only with them for like five years. Right. Um albums um he just wasn't happy and then he didn't enjoy it and played didn't play that much but now it's like that like we get new energy in the whole thing and he, the band says they've never played this much ever like i haven't played this much you know since they're like the 82 or something right. it's crazy <laughs> i think it's both that the 80s thing is so strong and the, we're headlining this thing called the, the lost 80s tour yes all through north america in the summer, they're going to Europe and South America and all that stuff. Canada as well. But also because he's kind of enjoying it more again. You know, we're, he, he kind of thinks it's cool that I'm a leader of another band. And we, we actually started out together. We both were on the police picnic in 1982, hmm. where we first met Sting. You know, remember Sting and bringing back Nile Rogers to uh, right. see us in New York. Um, we met those guys there. It was Talking Heads, the police, and Boone's Black and Seagull. That's where I first, we first met. And started out where Nova Harden and Iran came out the same year with the two young bands on the bill so I'm a photograph of when we first met and here we are 30 you know 30 years later or whatever it is playing together it's crazy yeah that's great actually I have tickets for for that show when you guys come to New York so I'm looking forward to seeing you guys then which which show is that one they call the island or no the the the, the next day the, the Brookville one oh great yeah. yeah, excellent. Yeah, so yeah, there's a, there's a few other bands who I've had on the show, um, New Shoes, you know, Animotions, who are also on that bill. Yeah, so. I think it was Bang Chung and Memo had a hats, I think. Yeah, cool. yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a cool one. Those, we did a bunch of those in California in January, and they were outrageous. We said, Boy George Bangles, The Violent Femmes. And it's like the Ed Sullivan show of 80s bands. <laughs> it's great. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not. It kind of makes sense because everybody just plays their hits. And, and uh, they pack them in. We did the Honda, the arena, the Honda Center in Anaheim, right. 17,000, and the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, like 7,500. They pack them in. They have a rotating stage. That's how tight a show it is. It's like Cirque du Soleil or something. Yeah. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And, um, and I'm walking to like a kid. You know, I was talking about these people I grew up with. Or listening to, anyways. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild because it's like when you know my mother and grandmother would go to shows. It was like you know the '50s acts. You know, you see the compilation of '50s or '60s stars. Now I'm going to see you know the '80s stars. So it's kind of like comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, but the nice thing about the '80s, the variety of music you know, packed in a show like that. You think of '50s music or '60s, kind of. Same sound. Like but, yeah. you know, but here you got, you know, we got like Flock of Seagulls like electro thing. Right. You got like, you know, you got Toad Loke yeah, or exactly. Sugar Hill Gang doing yeah. that thing. Got then you rap. got Salt Pepper doing, you know, Salt Pepper doing their thing. And then you got the Bagos doing just pop. And then you got, you know, um, what's what called, um, uh, was it Animotion? No, I, Animo, no, um, 
Dramarama. Oh, Dramarama, yeah. Like like listen to the music it's like wow this was really good before it's like all right you know i see the act with the hair and the makeup and everything like, like you mentioned yeah, yeah. but the, the music does hold up yeah absolutely i mean there's even bands um from the 80s at the time i didn't really pay attention to that after the 80s i became a huge fan of like the cure you know i kind of yeah. really think about it you sort of you're all doing that together and you're not trying to really really get into somebody else's music is you're so absorbed in your own career. So, so I love the, absolutely, The Cure, and um, I always like the darker stuff. It's like, you know, like Furs and the Echo of the Bunnymen. I was never a fan of, you know, the the poppy stuff that um, a lot of other people seem to like from the 80s. But, right. I you know, whatever, it's all good. Yeah, but yeah. I was more of that dark, coming from, from prog rock, you know, I was, I was like the dark stuff, the more the slightly gothy vibes yeah. and things, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, last question: You actually wrote a book, uh, Spoon Fed. Uh, how was that process like? And was that easy to write? Uh, some of it. Um, yeah. It gets really hard at the end. It's like when, especially when you got a publisher, you had a due date. All of a sudden, it just goes from make fun and games and self therapy to being a job. You know, I get this done, and, and um, but it's, it's a great thing to do. I because of this book, it's. it's let me do all kinds of things to, from speaking to kids and, you know, about writing to doing seminars you know talk to younger kids about following your dream and self esteem and blah 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 it's a pretty clean book and it's a good story about a young, bunch of young kids doing well in a crazy industry and following your dreams and all that stuff uh, but you, got, you should write your book even if even you can't write you should do it for yourself not only is it great self therapy but it makes kind of sense out of your life like 30 years later I go oh, I'm not see why this happened and why I'm this way and who you know why what made me the way I am and at the time you just did it you just do it and you don't even pay attention to things but all of a sudden you look at your life 30 years later and some of it is uh, beautiful poetry and others bits of it are like a horror story <laughs> like, <laughs> you, kinda, you get to look back on it and it's kind of it's a very cool thing to do I, I encourage everybody to write even if it's just a journal style or whatever and um, I, I had sort of key stuff that I started with like beginning and middle and end but the more I wrote about those things all the gray areas filled in and then before I knew it it was one anecdote or story after another it wasn't like I had to find filler or anything it's just so many crazy things happened in those in the 80s that it was easy to write about it was, it was kind of ridiculous and, and amazing at the same time <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's a good thing that you remember this stuff. <laughs> Some people don't. <laughs> well, I I write. I, I mean, I get old, older. People say you lose your memory. I said, yes. Yeah, so still, I got the book because like ten years from now, it's one years from now, I'll be reading you. Like, wow, this guy had a really cool life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like a like a third person thing. Like, it's just good to have it, and um, people really like it. It's like 
I think I'm a really good writer. I, I, I was a writer before I even started writing music. I think it reads more like a Stephen King novel than an autobiography. It's more about how a kid uh, born in Canada moved to Europe and comes back not speaking a word of English, just lost himself in music and become um, a nerd in school. And I went to like one party in high school. And how my music kind of brought me out of the shadows and made me cool, you know. And that's a great thing to bring the kids in schools. And I was somebody that I thought I'd be destined to study my bedroom the rest of my life. Of this certain sequence of events and influence from Disney to Twilight Zone to all this stuff, how it shaped my mind and and how you know where, where it led me to, and it's and there's some really awful stuff that happened, like terrible things, and some of the really funny things. So I put them all in there. And I found that all the things that I was the most embarrassed about or not so sure if I should write about them, those are all the things people like the most. Said, we want to hear more of that stuff. That's, so that's a good lesson to learn too. Whether you're writing songs or books or just a story, or people like the stuff that make you real, you know, they're not not perfect or, you know, that's why I find a lot of autobiographies that are going on about sort of glamorizing the whole rock thing right. when it comes to drugs and falling off, you know, the rails, with that stuff. Trying to make them look cool in a little way, you know, unless it's not really honestly, honest ones as well. Yeah, well, uh, the book's called Spoon Fed, and I'll definitely. Uh, read it soon, and I recommend everyone to, to to read it as well. Gordon, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And actually, like I said, I have two hundred black seagulls as well, so you can see me as a spoon or a seagull, whatever you prefer. Maybe sometimes together. We did show together last October. But uh, Gordon, thank you for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you when you come with uh, the seagulls in August. Excellent. <laughs> And a special thanks to Gordon for joining me today. Go check out the band on Twitter at The Spoons, their website, Spoons Music. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'd appreciate it. It's at the first Noel 19. Be sure to like the page We're Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes. You can check out all the past episodes we've had. Please rate and review the show and subscribe to it as well. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. The show can be found on SoundCloud and Podbean. A special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon.